money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success. Some people use it as the key to reach their goals. And some people use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it and how to grow it. For years, women have been telling their beauty stories, their success stories, their health stories. Now we want to talk to women about their money stories. Welcome to Tilly Money. As a mother of three and a serial entrepreneur with a wealth of experience in financial services, there could not be a better person championing the gender gap in superannuation than Pascal Heliar-Moray. As founder and CEO of Super Rewards, Pascal is innovating solutions to the problem with this new platform that provides cashback rewards for purchases towards your super. The superannuation system is fantastic, but it, it works if you earn like a man and you work full-time for the entire length of your career. Now, nothing that I've just said is applicable to most women. Today's episode is brought to you by our principal partner, Mortgage Choice. 2020's been a challenging year, so Mortgage Choice and its national network of mortgage brokers are on a mission to help Australians restart their 2020. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or investment property or want to refinance an existing home loan to get a better deal, let a mortgage choice broker answer all your questions, show you what's available and do the legwork to help you restart 2020. Visit mortgagechoice.com.au or call 137762 to speak to your local broker. Welcome to Tilly Money, Pascal. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. <laughs> So there's a question that we like to start every conversation with just to to lay a bit of groundwork in introducing you to our audience. So um, where did you learn about money growing up? That's a great question. Um, I learned about it from my mum, actually, who was in retrospect an entrepreneur um, and, you know, a working from home mum. Mm-hmm. who was unconsciously modeling this behavior for me, but I just didn't realize it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, this was at a time when women tended not to work, um, but she did, and she juggled home and work and children and, you know, all those things very capably without, you know, without any stress at all or, or making at least making it look like there wasn't any yeah, stress. Yeah, she even had that added, yeah. added benefit, Pascal, of being able to hide the stress. So. Yes, exactly, exactly, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So what do you think, what kind of um, lessons or, or money mindset do you think she's instilled in you? I think pri- primarily the first lesson would be, which isn't necessarily money specific, but the first lesson is definitely that you can work and have a family simultaneously. Mm. Um, she never complained, she never said, oh, my goodness, I don't know why I'm doing this. This is too hard, which is, of course, what we've all, all thought at some point in mm. time. But uh, so she was definitely modelling that for me, not, not probably that she chose to – it was a conscious decision. It was just what she did, right? Mm. Um, and when it came to money, uh, what did I learn about money from her? I would say probably that, um, you know, it's – good as a female to always have your own source of income. Mm-hmm. That was a, a pretty big lesson. Um, and that um, also from her, I, I learned that if you price 
something correctly. And if you know where your market is, you can charge you know a, a reasonable amount, and you and you can make good money as well. So the entrepreneurial spirit was with you from a young age, then I'm guessing. Well, that's right. But I mean, back back then, you know, I mean, my mother wouldn't have known what the word entrepreneur meant, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then, what piqued your interest about working in finance? Well, my dad was in finance. So it was always something, you know, that I've grown up and been reasonably comfortable with. But to be completely honest, I kind of fell into it. Mm. <laughs> the reason I fell into it was uh, because I was doing a uh, not-so-useful arts degree and uh, I was doing, studying, you know, uh, French and doing my honours in French. And and I thought, well, where, where is this going to take me? And how am I going to apply this arts degree, which, you know, was useful in you know, parts, like psychology was very useful, chemistry less so, but, um, you know, what am I actually going to do with this? And it was actually thanks to my dad that he introduced me to um, one of his uh, colleagues uh, um, who was uh, working for BNP Paribas, which is a French bank, and I thought, oh, well, you know, this is, this would be a good job for me to have, or at least a, a good organisation for me to be in. As it happens, I'd been running the French Society at Sydney University, and we'd had a you know an excellent year. We just you know increased registrations, and you know we're making a profit, and all these sorts of things. So I just went in and had this interview, and just talked about you know my experience of running the the French Society at Sydney University, and that led to a job um, in marketing communications uh, for BNP Paribas. Um, so, yes, it wasn't necessarily that finance was what I was always interested in, but marketing com- communications I turned out to be quite proficient at, and it just happened to be, you know, bringing together my love of French and trying to use, utilize the, the French skills I'd, I'd learned, and it happened to be with a, a French bank. Mm. So, and of course, that that job led to um, another job because I found actually I was interested in finance and um, the financial services sphere and that job led to another which led to another and and uh, before it I was before long I was you know truly stuck in financial services <laughs> yeah I like the way you've expressed that I have to ask you one question just obviously with a name like Pascal Helier Moray um, yeah. you've got a French background French. anyway is that correct well, actually, I don't. Um, I just, it's just one of those things. Um, I was given a French name. I uh, happy to be good at French. I happen to study French. Um, I happen to get married in France. But actually, there is no French background per oh, se. Uh, so Hel- yeah, Helly is an old English name, and mm. uh, Marais is actually a Scottish name. So, mm. but it, it's just one of those uh, life. No, life had a special path for me when it came mm. to France. Yeah, your name sounds très français, but yeah, uh, thank but, you. Yeah. Merci beaucoup. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so you're with BNP, BNP Paribas for yes. a while, and also a couple of others. I think BT Financial and JP Morgan. So you yes. and you were, you know, obviously working as an employee within these bigger um, branded companies. So, what yes. what kind of things did you learn in that? time at those three organisations or there might have been others as well, Pascal? Um, gosh, so much. So maybe I'll, I'll run through them chronologically. So mm. BNP Paribas, um, I learned how to bring stakeholders together. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if you can imagine a very franche, a very male <laughs> environment, um, and I was a young female marketing communications manager who um, was doing her level best to try and get you know people on the same page. Um, so that that was a very good grounding in, in stakeholder management. Um, at Biggie Financial Group, that that's actually where I learned so much about asset management, and it was a phenomenal time to be working at BT. And I, I've got friends uh, from there that I still have to this day. And it was this amazing energy, you know, particularly around the time of the Sydney Olympics and, um, you know, BT was, you know, the, sort of the number one asset manager uh, uh, in, the, you know, in the industry. And I think from there, I, you know, that's why I started working with listed companies and investment trusts. And so I started to understand a, a lot more about working with, you know, the regulatory environment, so the, um, the stock exchange, for example, um, while um, being exposed to different kinds of clients. So, uh, you know, um, I was working with institutional clients and and everything that that, that brings. Um, at JP Morgan, I guess it was more of, uh, yeah, stakeholder management, working with um, different levels of clients, um, but also this was a different environment because now I was working in London and I had to, you know, as part of my role because I, I was head of the investment trust marketing, um, there were 20 investment trust companies and I used to have to go in and present and um, basically tell these boards of, you know, six or seven old Etonians, um, how we were going to do the marketing for their trust. And that was always interesting. Uh, they used to refer to me as the convict, which was fun. Uh, not. And mm. and uh, and I, I, I knew I was always on a hiding nothing going in there because, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sure they loved a 30-year-old uh, female convict telling them what to do. <laughs> but I always took, I always took the view that um, – Revenge, you know, success is the best revenge. So mm-hmm. I basically walk in there and say, look, here's what we're going to do. And then the next, you know, six months later, I'd come back and say, look, here's what we did. And here was how successful it was. And here's what we're going to, going to do next time. So it was a, again, a skill set, uh, I guess a skill set learned there. Apart from, you know, bringing new products to market and, and just how to lead a really successful business unit mm. um, was really about diplomacy. And, I mean, there were so many times when <laughs> when I wanted to fire up in those environments, mm. <laughs> uh, but I, I just I just couldn't. And, um, and so I, I very much learned the art of tact mm. and diplomacy and how sometimes saying nothing is, is the most powerful thing you can say. Mm, so true. So you've learned lessons during your time at these institutions and then you took a really big step well most people find it is that you then put on the hat of entrepreneur I mean you said that your your mum had it even though she probably wouldn't have been aware of it so it was in your in your DNA or you know whatever you osmotically absorbed from your mum and you then started your own business Tell us a bit more about that's, that. That's right. So um, the my the birth of my children because uh, I have twins, they were my first firstborn, mm. um, coincided with a, a move halfway across the world. 
Um, and so after being, you know, on maternity leave with them for about six months, I thought, oh, I need something else to stimulate my brain. So thought, oh gosh, like the, the the world of nappies and washing and mm. and so on just isn't for me. Especially double. Um, especially double. Mm. It was double. Mm. It was double everything. Um, and I thought I need to use my brain. So I <laughs> I toddled off and uh, went to see uh, JP Morgan here in Sydney, but they didn't have the asset management branch. And they said, oh, no, we, you know, we can't, there isn't a part-time role and you'd have to start off full-time and, and so on. I thought, well, that, that's not ideal. So mm-hmm. then I I went off to see some uh, headhunters and recruitment agencies and I basically marched in and said, oh, look, I, I want to work, you know, Wednesday to Friday, <laughs> the mm-hmm. same salary as I was on in London, and mm. I was promptly la- laughed out of every office. <laughs> so I, I thought, well, what am I going to do? Mm. You know, what's, what's something I can do from home that I'm passionate about um, and I can juggle with, you know, the children? Mm. And so I'd always had a long-standing uh, love affair with jewellery, and I saw a, a niche and a gap in the market for uh, custom jewellery online. Um, and this is around about the time that Shoes of Prey and oh, yeah. Um, other, yeah, was, was you know, had was up and running. And I mm. thought, oh, well, you know, I, I can do that for jewellery. Mm. So anyway, so I thought, oh, look, I'll, I'll play this. So we, I, I got the, the business up and running and that was great. And I learned a heck of a lot along the way, mostly about jewellery production because uh, I obviously already had a pretty good, um, you know, grounding in, digital and e-commerce and so on. But I learned how to run my own business mm-hmm. and I learned, you know, startup world and I learned, uh, you know, all the all the politics mm-hmm. that come with the startup world and, and also all the personalities as well. So mm-hmm. that was very, very uh, useful for me. Um, and, of course, that, you know, as a female entrepreneur, you know, you, are, you do stand out a bit because there aren't that many of you. And so that, uh, that profile, um, you know, led on to, you know, other, like advisory roles with other startups and, con- you know, consulting mm-hmm. on other startups and, and so on. So, and I found that after a while, like, I, you know, as, as much as I wanted or would have liked to have gone back to corporate for its, you know, more, far more regular income, um, I just didn't know how I could because it, um, I think I've now looked at life through a completely different lens, mm. and that is the startup lens. So, and I think you know, you made a comment earlier that it's perhaps my DNA, and I do think it is in my DNA. And and I, I'm one of these people that if something needs to be smarter, faster, you know, more mm. efficient, then then I'm all for it, mm. and and I I understand that sometimes corporate doesn't work like that. Mm. I think that's also part of the real definition of an entrepreneur, what you've said, a risk taker, but also looking for oh, smarter, that's right. faster, better ways of doing things. Mm. That, that's right. I would completely agree that my appetite for risk is probably greater than most people. Mm. And <laughs> so, you've, got, you've got to have yeah. it because it's such a risky thing. But yeah. um, so, Pascal, what happened to the jewellery business then? Take us take us from there because we're eventually going to talk about super rewards, but there sounds yeah. like there's a bit of a journey there. Well, as I said, it was, um, you know, I, I was exposed to a lot of other startups along the way. And, and one of them actually uh, was a startup, uh, a not-for-profit startup called the Australian Gender Equality Council. Oh, um, And that's, it's an NFP. Um, so I'm director of communications there and I helped 
uh, you know, help the team get to launch and and beyond. And it was really um, so. At the council, we uh, produced research in conjunction with the University of Queensland Business School, mm. and we used that research to try and influence policy and try and influence corporates and try and influence you know the everyday person on the street. Mm. Now, it was through my work with the council that I came to understand how or the state of gender equality or inequality in Australia, and particularly with regards to superannuation. Now, because of my background, I'd always had a strong interest in, in superannuation. Mm. And probably not like most women, I actually had a quite a good superannuation balance, simply because I was, I was the person writing all the brochures about compound interest and <laughs> the importance of salary sacrifice, mm. et cetera, mm. when I was mm. a VP. And I thought, gosh, I better, I better mm. do what I'm, <laughs> what I'm preaching. Yeah. And so I'd been salary sacrificing from a, a young age. So um, it was, you know, I, I personally was in a very uh, fortunate position, but I came to understand not only how most women are not, but also how the, the system, if we call it that, um, is is never going to really change when it comes to the gender, you know, the superannuation gender gap because the underlying components that contribute to the super gap themselves aren't changing. Mm. So uh, this was a, a real watershed moment for me and I, I thought, wow, you know, I mean, some of the other stats that uh, we talk about at the Gender Equality Council are, you know, the fact that as a nation we pay our daughters uh, 27% less pocket money than we pay our sons. And so when we're, you know, when women in Australia start off life like that, is it any wonder that they're retiring roughly half as much super as men? Mm. No. So it's a, it's a life bookended by economic disadvantage. So that was really, that was the, that realisation and that uh, understanding of the landscape and, and also the, you know, the fact that, um, you know, industry and government like to say, oh, you know, women should top up their super. But the reality is that when you have only 24% of women in the accumulation phase of their life, so age 18 to 64, only 24% work full time, that means 76% do not work full time mm. and are therefore either, you know, not in work like 40% or working part-time casually, 36%. So to ask 76% of the female population to top up their super with money either that they can't spare or actually just don't have access mm. to is crazy. Mm. Very true. So it was really it was really through my work with the council that I, you know, I, I could see, I, I'd un- understood really why the, the factors that feed into the super gap weren't changing. Mm. Um, but because as a council we were working directly with government and corporates, I saw on one hand how there was just no action. Mm. It was just, it was glacial effect, you know, and glacial is a generous term. But yet on the other hand, because I was running the social media at the time for the council, you know, I was privy to all this information and all these statistics around, you know, the fact that the fastest growing demographic of homeless people in Australia is the older woman. Mm. Over 55, and I've heard. It's becoming very chronic. Exactly right. yeah. mm. 
And and fifty percent of all mm. women aged sixty five retire with no super. Mm. And and I was also privy to all this information and statistics around, you know, how women, you know, if, if women were paid for all the unpaid work that we do, you know, um, looking after children and domestic duties and, and so on, we'd add another two point two trillion dollars to the economy. Mm. So I thought, well, hang on, what's going on here? You know, women are stuck. We're we're held in our roles uh, because of you know, the cost of childcare, which is pricing so many women out of returning to work. Yeah. Um, we're held in our roles by the fact that you know we do forty four hours of unpaid labour each week. So even if we wanted to work, <laughs> we can't because we're too busy vacuuming. Um, so and and yet at the other end of our lives, you know, women are being rewarded, and I use that word loosely, um, for all their services and care for others by ending up couch surfing or living out of a van. Like that's just crazy. Mm. So I thought, well, there has to be a better way. You know, government's moving really slowly, industry's moving really slowly. So how do we how do we change this? And quickly, because it's clear that, yes, while policy has its place, you know, so slow, truly so slow. So I thought, well, what do women have? Okay, women have responsibility, you know, looking after the generations up, down, sideways. And they also have purchasing power. They make 80% of household spending decisions. So let's join those two things together and create a way in which that women can be rewarded directly into their super through their everyday activities. And that was the genesis of super awards. Mm. So what you're saying, it's a really interesting concept. So what you're saying is that I go in and into a store or wherever and buy something and... No, no, no it's even better. What, what mm. you've just described is around us. Um, but let's say you come to the super, so we're online uh, only at the moment. So mm. we're a shopping platform. Mm. So let's say you come to super awards, uh, you create an account, free to join. Um, you go through our retailers. Um, so let's say you want to buy something at um, the Iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, if you spend $100 mm-hmm. at the Iconic website and you come through Super Rewards, the Iconic will pay you $4. Oh, okay. So it's not even coming out of your money. It's almost like a reward Correct. for shopping That's at exactly the Iconic. Right. I'm with you. Okay. That's exactly right. Mm. So it, it's a no-brainer. Mm. It, you're being rewarded for what you do every day. And it's, I, I do need to stress, it's not just about fashion. You know, we don't just offer fashion brands or mm. beauty brands. And I think when people, you know, hear a sale, you shop online, they just go, ooh, fashion, beauty, that's it. Mm. Not at all. So we have, you know, retailers like eBay, mm. which, of course, everybody uses. Um, you can book holidays, uh through Super Awards and, and earn cash back uh, into your super. You can, um, you know, you can sort out insurance. You can buy new white goods. We all need white goods at some point, whether it's a dishwasher or vacuum cleaner or, or whatever. Mm. Um, so basically every time you do anything online, the first place you should be checking is Super Awards to see if you're going to earn cash back into your super mm. for your time and effort. Spent, mm, absolutely. You know. Mm. How did you have to go door knocking then to get the retailers involved yeah, there was with a bit this? Of that. Yeah. <laughs> there, mm. there was a bit yeah, of that. Um, yeah. 
but and particularly with the bigger ones, of course. So, um, you know, for all the big retailers like Woolworths and the Iconic and uh, eBay and uh, gosh, who else? Booktopia and and Apple and so on. Um, you do have to approach them directly mm. um, and for them to give you their blessing. Mm. Um, so that was, uh, but actually, that was probably the easiest part of the process. Um, and I think the reason it was so easy because it was just such a compelling story for them. Mm. You know, for, from a retailer perspective, we're helping drive sales for mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Um, and of course, because it's such a, a great product market fit, right? So if I think about the shape of our um, user base, you know, two thirds of our base is aged between 35 and 55. And from a gender perspective, 85% of our base is female. Mm-hmm. So it was, and, and of course they didn't know that when they, when, you know, when they signed up with us, but um, they could just see, you know, once they all understood the broader problem, which was that women retire with half as much cheaper as men, um, once they understood the broader problem and understood that we were the only group in market providing a solution, then it became a fairly compelling argument. Mm. For each of them to sign up. Mm. Sounds a bit like um, what we do with Tilly Money. I want to ask you a few more questions, obviously, about Super Rewards. Yeah, but sure. It's a similar type of thing where when we go out to our sponsors, you know, and explain what we're doing here, which is kind of fills in from what some of the things that you were saying too, Pascal, is that yeah. women need to learn more about being financially independent you know, and yep. it's men just kind of learned it. It was you're a man, so you know you had to at some stage learn how to manage money. But women often were behind the scenes, often managing the family finances, but not actually understanding the more intricate intricate details of investment. And that's what we're trying to do that's with right. money. And and as you said, right. it becomes a compelling proposition for your retailers in your case or sponsors. But tell me, what's your business model though? How how do you? It's it's great. How do we make money? Yeah, yeah. So um, we so we have a there's a gross commission with each retailer, mm. um, and we share that okay. commission with the user. So okay. that's one revenue stream for us. But the second key revenue stream is that we've started partnering directly with the super funds. Mm. Um, and so what I mean by that is, so right now today you could sign up for super awards and and you know start shopping and start mm-hmm. earning money to go into your super. Great. Um, but a last year proved to be a very interesting year to be a super fintech company because this was immediately after the Royal Commission. Mm. And out of the Royal Commission came uh, the Protecting Your Super legislation. And so a couple of the super funds understood what we were building or they got wind of it and they said, hang on, you, you're telling us that you can create engagement, mm. um, help a member grow their super balance, which helps us grow our funds under yep. management. Mm-hmm. And importantly, um, following the protecting your super legislation, um, it says that if a member has not contributed to their super in 16 months, then their super insurances are cancelled. So their mm-hmm. life and TPD is cancelled. Um, now, a lot of people just aren't aware that mm-hmm. they have super insurances. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, and then the other component, of course, is that if you haven't contributed to your balance in that amount of time um, and your balance is less than $6,000, which of course tends to be women because they mm. have lower balances, then that money is taken away from the fund and returned to the ATO. So 
so that it's not being eroded by feet. So, you know, with Super Rewards, the, the $5 here and the $10 there, etc., that helps keep your super insurances in place and it helps, means that your money stays with the fund. Mm. So as they could see that we were at once a source of retention and growth. Mm, these these so, small amounts add up. Mm. Uh, absolutely. So they um, so we're now uh, you know white labeling our technology mm. to um, a number of funds, and so in that coming back to your question on on you know revenue and so on mm. um, through a, a licensing uh, licensing fees and charges that's also how we make money. Mm, sounds like sounds an excellent thing. It's like a win win. So when you're at the when you're at a cash register, just trying to get my head around this, just so people can engage with it. But you know, when you go into say Coles or Woolies, we will be in store, but we're doing it in a very um, we'll be in store shortly. But we're doing it in a card linked way. But there, you don't have to carry any other cards. Mm. You don't have to upload, you know, receipts. You don't have to, and we're not relying on the retailer, like Woolies, for example, mm. to promote us because mm. that's where it just becomes so difficult. Mm. But we've come up with a solution which um, is going to be just, you know, straight through and and seamless. And that's really the point of because, um, you know, I've got three children and I've been that lady at the checkout, mm. right, with, mm. you know, one child having a meltdown, one yeah. child kicking a ball in aisle three mm. and, you know, the other reading a book in aisle five. <laughs> and the, the, the checkout person says, oh, have you, have you got your awards card? And I'm scrambling, <laughs> scrambling around yeah. and, and I'm, you know, I, I just want to get the hell out. That's um, right. And I go, I, yeah. I don't want to be No, I don't want your fly bars. Where am I going to go card? anyway? No, mm. no, I just want mm. to get out. Exactly. Anyway, so the solution that we built is um, as seamless and frictionless as possible and it requires no extra effort okay. from the user. Okay. Well, looking forward to, to seeing that, how that comes to fruition. That's right. But um, yeah. from uh, as an example, from the, the user's perspective, say yeah. if a woman was to start making her purchases through Super Rewards from the mm-hmm. age of 30, how much mm-hmm. would or could she expect to gain in retirement? That's a great question. Um, and it really does depend on how much you know, how much you shop with Super Awards yeah. uh, using the Super Awards retailers. Um, I I can only speak, I guess, you know, with what I've earned um, as, and use myself as an example. Yeah. So I've earned just under $500 oh, wow. over the course of a year. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's and significant when well, you consider mm, compound very, interest. Mm. Well, that, that's exactly right. So, you know, $500 a year compounding over 30 years or you know, however some, however old somebody makes a significant um, difference in the long run. So, mm. um, the and, you know, the, the funny thing is I, I'm not even the biggest user of our platform. Like we, we have other mm. people who just put me in the shade. Yeah. Um, and that's because they have just made it their absolute mission, I guess, just mm. to you know, find the bargains, find all the retailers offering the best rewards and just to maximise the amount that they're getting into their superannuation. Mm. So, um, you know, of, of course, the, the the thing we do have to consider is that whatever super rewards you earn is going into your super fund where it's compounding 
as you say, in the earning companies. So, you know, your your Super Awards earnings will never be just in isolation because they're always being uh, added to whatever super balance mm. you already have. Yeah. And so how have you found it just from a, a perspective of trying to get women to engage with their super? How has the uptake been? Um, it's, it's really interesting. The, um, the people love it and yeah. it's just because it is a no-brainer and it's catering for, you know, the average woman and it's free to join and it's pretty simple to use. Um, and you know, we're, we're seeing that, like we're seeing positive Feedback both from the retailers' perspective. So when we launched, we had 100 retailers, and now we have over 300. Um, and from the user perspective, it is some of our users. Of course, it's literally, you know, life changing. Yeah. So you know, maybe for example, they're out of the workforce and just you know, um, stay-at-home mums or, or whatever. This, and let's say they've become aware that they're, you know. Not not going to do so well on the super front. Yeah. Then this is a way for them to add to their super just through their everyday activity. Mm. You know, it's, there's no change in behaviour required. There's um, you know we've got a huge range of brands that they can shop from, and it is actually this is a a quick, actionable, practical step towards you know improving their retirement outcomes, um, which doesn't require a, relying on somebody else, or B, government uh, policy, or C, any huge amounts of financial education. Mm. So but in that sense, it's, it's a real win-win. Definitely. And so just on a, on a personal note, how often do yeah. you check your super, Pascal? Oh, um, probably every quarter, I'd say, um, which is probably more than most. Mm. Um, but that's because um, I have a self-managed super fund and so I like to see how my investments are performing. <laughs> Can't check it every day because then that, that gets a little bit hairy, but definitely definitely every quarter because we've got investments in, in the markets and, and so on. And so I'd like to do a bit of a quarterly review. Mm. But I'm going to ask you a little Absolutely. bit of a technical question that we – we may or sure. may or may may not un- understand, but you know how you said that you've saved five hundred dollars. Yeah, um, that's have gone in by you know using this um, bonus kind of system through the retailers, etc. And yes. you said other people have, you know, almost made you embarrassed how much that they've got. You know, when that money yeah. goes in, is that treated? Yeah. You know how we've got we can we can put twenty five thousand dollars a year into super, and that includes. Yeah the compulsory super that our employer puts Correct. in for us, does the money Correct. that goes in from the super rewards, is that seen mm-hmm. as a... Non-concessional. Non-concessional, yep. Yeah. Okay, just Correct. to clarify it, that. It, so it you've got to be, yeah. be a bit careful of that because that would go to your cap too, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, but the good news there is that non-concessional contributions have a cap of $100,000. That's, so you've is, got to be doing a lot of spending. That is a lot of spending. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, okay. We, uh, just in the interest of um, you know full disclosure, super rewards can be classified as non-concessional or concessional yep. contributions. Yep. Um, but unless you specify 
Uh, otherwise, otherwise, most funds will treat them as non-conceptual. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. And for anyone currently listening and maybe freaking out about what are they carrying on about, you know, <laughs> non-conceptual, conceptual, all of this kind of stuff, we're going to, we are already talked about on Tilly Money or we're going to talk about more. But the key thing that I'm really loving about talking to you, Pascal, is that you're really trying even through this, what you're doing, your business, to make women aware of their super. 110% mm. because that, I mean, and you've hit the nail on the head, right? So, you know, women have drawn somewhat of a short straw in Australia, I think. Look, I want to be I want to be really clear. The super, superannuation system is fantastic um, and it has put Australia on the world stage yep. you know, financially. Thank Paul, thank Paul Keating. Thank you, PJK. Yep. Um, but it, it works if you earn like a man and you work full-time mm. for the entire length of your career. Mm. Now, nothing that I just said is applicable to most women. Yeah. Women do not earn like a man. Mm. The, the gender pay gap is at 22% based on total remuneration, not just the, the, the wage basis, which is it's at 14%. So gender pay gap is 22%. Women do not work full-time. All the time, and you know, most women have career breaks, and mm. it's not just career breaks, you know, from maternity leave. It, it's often career breaks because we're looking after our elderly parents, mm. or, or you know, something else. So, you know, the super system just did not take women into account when mm. it was constructed, mm. or, or women's life patterns, I should say. So. So that, that's one part of the, the great challenge is that women literally don't have access to these, you know, spare or any money with mm. which to top, top up their super. But the other massive, massive problem with um, superannuation, and this applies for women and men, is that it is so complex. Mm. And the average person on the street is just somewhat baffled by it. Mm. And they're cool because there have been, what, 110 Royal Commissions since its advent in 1992. Mm. Um, and, you know, we don't think about our super on a daily basis. And, um, you know, it's always about 20, 25, 30 years away. But, and, and I'm not saying that we should, but equally, the idea that you don't think about your super at all, you know, is, is just not going to work mm. because it is an investment. And I, I think also there's a lot of people who are confused about the fact that it is, a, an investment, but B, your own investment, um, and the importance of it as well. So, you know, there's, you know, um, that, what's the Chinese proverb? The, the best the best time to plant a tree was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the same, it's the same as superannuation. So if there is, if for all its complexity, I, I believe that there is one thing that is true of superannuation, and that is, you know, just add as much as you can as early as you can. Mm. And, and literally every little help. So if what we've done at Super was we've brought Super into the everyday or the weekly, depending on how often you shop, right? Mm. But we've, we've made, we've made, we've brought the future into the now. Mm. And we've also made the concept or the ability of earning Super really easy. Mm. And I think that's, Super Awards, True Value. 
Well, I totally agree with you, and I guess there's a lot we can do in common as well here, Pascal, because you're a Director of Communications on the Australian Gender Equality Council. Well, yeah. one of the aims of Tilly is to help close the, the gender pay gap. Now, I know you say that it's still too wide, but if you don't keep trying, mm -hmm. you're not going to oh. going to do anything. So we can we can <laughs> join we can join you in the work there, and then what you're Fantastic. doing to raise super awareness through your super rewards business is again, you know, the information that we want to get out through Tilly. So got a lot of common ground here. But how will you know where um, when your work is done with super? Is this going to be like I would imagine oh. what you're doing with gender equality? This is an ongoing <laughs> business. Mm. That's right. It's, mm. uh, it's, it's an ongoing business. And, you know, gosh, how are you ever done, right? But um, I, I guess with, with, you know, gender equality, I mean, and, and as you say, gender the gender pay gap is just one measure of that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, closing the gender pay gap will be a huge moment um, for all of us. So, will it happen in in this decade? I, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll wait and see. Mm -hmm. um, I think when with work being done with with super, um, I think that work will be done when there is the wholesale reform for women and their supervision that is necessary mm. I mean you know the the first uh, the first paper presented to Parliament on you know the challenges as it was presented um, with women and their super was presented in 2002 and since here we are 18 years later and yes there have been changes but none of them wholesale right mm. um, and there have been tweaks at the edges and little bits here and little bits there etc but you know to for there to be wholesale reform is, is going to take, I think, decades. Um, so, again, that's a, a watching brief. But exactly to your point, we can't stop not talking about it because I, I find in, in, you know, doing what I do, every every room or, you know, Zoom <laughs> full of 100 women, 99 do not know about the super gap. Mm, yeah. And that's frightening. Um, so I don't think the work will ever be done, no. quite honestly. But the thing, um, the thing is there are a lot of people like yourself, like us, you know, to, you used a Chinese proverb before and one comes to my mind is, you know, this, this is a journey. You know, you said it probably won't be done yeah. in the next 10 years and there's a wonderful Chinese proverb from Lao, Lao Tse, um, philosopher, um, it's a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Well, I think we have taken That's steps. Right. And I know that might um, irk a lot of activists, but change, no matter what kind of change, is a very, very slow thing. Humans don't like change very much, no matter what level it is. But I think that there is movement um, I agree. There. And, but I'm going to ask you before Claire goes in with this fabulous thing she does with rapid fire questions, um, <laughs> I want to ask you a question that we always ask um, people that we do these podcasts with because you look back, you know, and for me, I, I don't look back and think if only then or if only I knew, knew that then because you can't possibly have known it, you know, you can't put different no. age heads on different, you know, shoulders. But Yes. If you could look back at, say, a younger Pascal, let's, yep. call, let's say she's 23, 25, you can choose an age. Yep. Now, mm -hmm. what would you like to say to her? But I'm always going to always add this, if mm -hmm. that younger Pascal would listen. 
Yeah. <laughs> Everybody laughs at that because <laughs> we all know we wouldn't listen. <laughs> oh, um, you know, I actually there's not too much I would have done differently, mm-hmm. uh, which is good, right? So um, I, I did. I did my salary sacrifice with my super tick. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I started doing, uh, you know, uh, in, investing in small amounts tick. Um, I, I have done most of the financial things that you're supposed to do, which mm-hmm. is which is good. Um, I probably wouldn't have sold my share portfolio in order to buy a camera. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd redo that one for mm-hmm. sure. We've all been there. I don't know. It depends oh. on what shots you took. Yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> Same memories. Well, let's put it this way. I, I, look, I, I don't have the camera anymore. Okay. Well, let's we put it, let, let's be positive. You may, taking... you, you may have lost money with shares, Pascal. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's yeah. Oh, that's okay. Thank mm. you. Uh, that will help me sleep at night. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have liquidated uh, some you know investment portfolios uh, mm. for for other purposes. Mm. You know, I, I should I should have kept them. Yes, because you would you would be compounding interest. Correct. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. And mm. I would. And the only reason I liquidated them was to you know move overseas. So I should have found mm. um, another way to raise the. The monies with which to grow the team. Yeah, you certainly sound like you're doing something incredibly significant. But I have to jump in because you've mentioned salary sacrificing twice now. Yeah, and just yeah. just for anybody who doesn't know, we talk about that on Tilly Money, and it's way to build up your super, and it's tax effective. Yeah. And if you're in a job, you can just go to your accounts area and say, tell me about salary sacrifice because I think I'd like to add a little bit more to my super and maybe have one or two less coffees a week, something like that. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give you a, a real life story without going into yep. numbers of how how it works. Yep, good. So I was doing um, sorry, sacrifice age what twenty like mid twenties on and on. Hmm. Um, so let's say for about ten ten years of corporate life, mm. and I I was lucky in that of course BT uh, matched with salary sacrifice, which oh, was so I I would do mm. my salary sacrifice, mm. they would do theirs, and mm. that's but. Let's fast forward to a number of years later where I have not, mm. you know, I've not been in corporate life and I've been in the entrepreneurial world where, mm. of course, super contributions are very much less certain. Yes. And I still, because of all the work I did in salary sacrifice in my 20s and 30s, I still have a bigger super balance than my husband who earns about four times as much as I do. Yeah, so that's, wow. a, that's amazing. And that's something that... You said we're not going to change these super gaps, you know, for a long time as well. You said that comment earlier. But, you know, because you said the reality is that women do take time out to have children, a lot of women do, and then, you know, women often care for, you know, elderly parents or relatives or whatever, so there are two big gaps um, out of their life. But when you're younger, if you can start understanding things like salary sacrifice and you but you're living proof of it it's a way of saying well I know I'm going to take these couple of years out and I may not be able to financially contribute because I'm buying a house or whatever so I'll pay that now and that will cover up for those lost years that's exactly right and uh, I've got another piece of financial advice for younger me great (laughs) yes yep so when you know if you you know if you're in a relationship and you're going to have a child and you know you're doing all those I say prenatal or antenatal, whatever you call them here, uh, classes on, you know, 
your birth plan and how to change a nappy and, and so on, I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend that you discuss, um, you know, salary splitting uh, yep. and super splitting with, with your partner. Yep, yep. Because there is no reason on this earth that they should not be contributing to your super while you while are not earning, not earning an income. Yep, yep. That's correct. Yeah. And the only reason I only learned this about this a few years ago, and the, the reason that, that you know, my husband and I didn't do it is because we had literally just moved countries and, um, you know, we would, we'd been out of the Australian system for seven, eight years or something. So, um, yes, but I really wish I had known about that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, I, I know a lot of this is going to be on telemoney as well because these are really important things, as you said, about the super splitting and income yeah. splitting, etc. But now it's time for yeah. Claire oh, and Pascal's lightning round of questions. So go ahead, Claire. Are you ready, Pascal? <laughs> So I'm just going to put a question to you and you can just finish the sentence as you please. So I won't rest until? My work is done. Financial freedom is? Power. Investing is? Everything. The future holds? Promise. What's most important is? Being happy. Amen. And the world needs? More powerful women. Mm. Amen, amen to that too, Claire. (laughs) So, Pascal, it's been an absolute delight um, speaking with you today. Thank you so much for being with us, for what you're doing, and a bit of a pledge here of let's talk more often and let's see if we can combine our forces, which women do need to do, like-minded women. Absolutely. Getting together, being united, um, you know, in, in trying to do some of these things like closing gaps, movements towards equality, you know, boosting super, all of these things are important and we can't do it alone. Absolutely. Let's do it. Yep, you're done. You've con- contracted. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Pascal. Pascal. Thanks okay. So Thanks so much. Your hosts this week were Maureen Jordan and Claire Osman. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music. See you next time.